There are over 400,000 children in the United States who are in the foster care system, from infants to the age of 21 in some states. The average age of a child in foster care is more than eight years old, and there are more boys than girls in the foster care system. The reality is, is there are so many kids who need a home, and sometimes that home is permanent, sometimes that home is just during a season. But the reality is these kids, they need support, they need love, and the families that care for them do too. And my guest today is trying to face this issue head on and make a big difference in the lives of children in foster care and the families that care for them. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. And this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an incredible person who's trying to make a positive impact, not only with their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact wherever you are. My guest this week is Allie Roth. She is the president and founder of With Love, a nonprofit organization working to support foster families in Portland, Oregon. For Allie, With Love is more than an organization with a cause. It's a must-have movement. Since 2013, she has brought love and dignity to the forefront of foster care, changing the lives of thousands of families and kids in the community. Even with COVID presenting a number of new challenges and obstacles for foster families, Allie and her team have stepped up to meet the needs of those most vulnerable. I loved this conversation with Allie. She has just an incredible, huge heart and her passion for children in foster care and the families that care for them is really inspiring. And I know that you are going to walk away wanting to take action in some way or just feeling like there's a, you know, wondering if there's a way that you too can get involved in supporting foster families in your community. So without further ado, on to my conversation with Allie. Allie, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Welcome, new friend. Thank you, Molly. I've been looking forward to this. I have heard just such amazing things about you. And I can already tell just from our little banter before we hit record that I was like, you you, you and I would probably be friends in real life if we lived near yeah. each other. <laughs> Kindred spirits. Kindred spirits. Yes. Um, so introduce yourself to the listeners. Give us the Allie 101. Who are you? What do you do? How did you get to where you are today? Yeah, well, I run and founded a nonprofit called With Love. But if I was to reel this back a little bit, I am a mom. I have two beautiful children. Um, I married for 15 years to my husband, um, which, by the way, I met at a bar. I like it. So let's make sure we understand how classy that is. Very classy. I like it. And um, I've always loved kids. I've always loved our community. And so naturally, I was becoming a teacher back in the day. And it was through teaching that I learned a lot about some of the needs in our community and what needs were um, a little tricky to fill versus there was already resources for. And so after having kids in foster care, and by the way, we don't say foster kids, we say kids in foster care, just mm-hmm. having dignity to them. Yeah. Um, I realized that, gosh, there are school-age kids that get resources, but what about those kids that are under school age? So after about a year quest of trying to figure out what resources are out there, how to support kids that are in foster care ages zero to six, I said, well, somebody has to do this. And 
out of my house. Um, some people might have actually called it hoarding. So, you know, there's a different sub opinion on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, um, it's fine. No judgment. My husband had a, uh, yeah, my husband had a strong opinion on that one. Um, it was hoarding. Um, a little nonprofit was started and we have gone from um, serving a couple kids a week to now we serve around 3,000 kids or have 3,000 touch points, I should say, a year with our families and supporting kids in foster care. And we're in um, not my house anymore. Thank goodness. That was about <laughs> seven and a half years ago. So we're now in a 6,500 square foot warehouse. And we gave around $1.4 million worth of items away last year alone. Wow. And you are in the Portland area. Yes. And we love it here. I am basically a Pacific Northwest native. I did have a stint to be a Hoosier in Indiana for a year, but now I am back and we've been back here for a while. Now, where did all of this kind of, what did this stem from? Because I mean, I know you shared that you learned about kind of the the under-resourced nature of the Mm -hmm. foster care system. But where did all of it stem for you? Did you always kind of have a pull in this direction or was there kind of a catalyst moment that led you to this? Well, great question. I would say I've always been kid focused. That's since I was a little one, like I would be the baby trying to hold the baby. You know, it's like, oh, that's awkward. You know, don't drop the baby. Um, so I always knew that I had a passion for that. And it was around being 18. I remember thinking, I'm going to go live in Mexico. I, at that time, spoke Spanish better than I do now. And I just thought, I'm just going to go help all these kids that are in orphanages. And this is just my life calling. Yeah. And um, my mother was very wise and said, you know, that isn't always the worst idea. But also think about, you know, there are some things in your own backyard that, you know, maybe you could also consider. And in doing so, maybe you could do mission trips or maybe you could, you know, raise money stateside and then send it somewhere else. So just broaden your horizons. I think she was just afraid I was going to run to Mexico. Okay. As an 18 year old, I was like, mm-hmm. what could go wrong? You know? So being, you know, a teacher really allowed me to, you know, love on the kids that are locally here in Portland um, during a school year and invest in them. And then the summers, I was actually able to lead short term mission trips to Honduras. Mm. So I did that for years yeah. and I just absolutely loved it. And so I think a big turning point for me was having a child myself Yeah. and saying, you know, I've had these feelings and these inklings and, you know, some curiosities, but now seeing how much gear I needed for my son and looking and seeing how much stuff was required. And I had nine months to plan. And what about these families that get an hour notice? Mm. Child given, you know, like brought to their front door and they say, okay, good luck, take care of them. I'm like, we can do better, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that really started this quest of trying to figure this out. And um, I think it was really beneficial for me too, because I had other friends that were in the same boat of having kids at the same time. And so we were all sort of, while I was the one leading the charge, I had other people saying, hey, I've got time to volunteer. Hey, you know, I'm just staying at home, raising my small kids. Like if I can bring my kid and volunteer that that's something else I can do, or they can even donate their kids items. And so it really was a good timing. And because a lot of my friends had the items to donate is sort of my beginning hoarder series um, for with love. Yeah, that kind of leads me to a question that, you know, I have um, quite a few friends who are uh, parents who you know, have adopted kids out of foster care Mm -hmm. or, or host kids who are in foster care. And there's a lot of kind of misconceptions around the foster system. Mm -hmm. And there's so many different kind of narratives that float around about the foster system. 
Can you kind of speak to that? And maybe what are some of the maybe you could like, we could play like a little myth busters, um, oh, you know, just yeah. talking about some of those misconceptions and myths are surrounding the foster care system, and what reality more looks like. Yeah, let's also put some numbers in there because mm-hmm. let's do some data stuff. Um, so in Oregon, so I can only speak to where I live, there is about one in 100 kids in foster care. Mm. And that number is double the national average. So that mm-hmm. is not normal. Um, if at any given day in Oregon, there's around 7,000 kids in foster care, mm. ranges ages zero to 18. And in a given year, there's over 1,200 kids in foster care. So when we talk about numbers, it's a big number. Can, um, I, can I ask real quick, why wh- why is it that it's such a higher average there than other places in the, in the States? Yeah, I think there's a lot of answers. There's two big ones that really stick out to me. Um, one of them is the opiate crisis. Mm. You know, there are a lot of good people that have gotten addicted to drugs and um, they need some help in recovery. So I think yeah. that's part of it. Okay. Um, the crisis has really hit us here. Um, the other part is some um, instability when it comes to housing. Yeah. And it's a very tricky thing and it's good people just trying their best and mm. um, not this are the ideal circumstances. Yeah. So I think those are our two leading culprits for that, um, that play into this. Yeah. And when you get a child in foster care, there's sort of two different routes that kids come into care. Um, DHS always has the goal in Oregon of reunification. So it's always that they're trying to do. Now, when you get a child that is getting taken away, DHS first looks to family. And so it's called a relative placement. And it's so interesting because these placements are quite different. A relative placement is like an uncle, a grandparent, maybe a great aunt. And so quite a few of these foster parents never intended to be foster parents. And so one day they get a call that um, their nephew or some kids that they didn't even know were part of their family, right? You know, somebody's maybe been missing for a while or gone. I don't want to say missing bad, but you know, just yeah. a difficult relationship. And so they want to keep the kids out of the foster care system in terms of the traditional route, having strangers coming in. So they graciously open up their doors. But, you know, if you're 65 and live in a fixed income in a studio apartment and now you have three kids, I mean, that's really hard. Um, Again, no training, no resources. They just got that call. The other group is something like I am. And so we sign up for foster care. And so my family felt it was the right thing to do. And so we took all the classes, we did all the little support group stuff. And so even though um, being a foster parent is really, really challenging, so I do not want to downplay that, it was actually something that we signed up for. So there's sort of two different ways people go into um, being a foster parent. And in my situation, we are what we call a middle family. And by the way, that's our words, not DHS's words, but a middle family is we're not here to adopt. We're not here to um, be with these kids for years and years and years. We're sort of that soft landing. So when a child and we have infants, when this infant goes into care, a lot of times parents are going through a rehab or they're waiting for grandma to come from maybe New York, or they're trying some other family members to see if they would be a good fit. So they just need a little bit of time for this child to be with their family that can just love them and encourage them, encourage the bio families. Um, So those are the placements that we take. Mm. Um, Now, one of the myths is that you become a foster parent to make money. So every state is different in how much money you get paid. But on average, um, we get around, I think, $695. And that has to cover diapers. It has to cover clothes. Um, For us, a lot of it has our daycare costs. And so if you add up all those things that it takes to, you know, get the bottles and the extra formula and all that stuff, we're probably in the hole a couple hundred dollars per month because Mm. specifically I need childcare for my kids. And so 
it's really interesting to have this stigma of, oh, well, you become a foster parent to make money. Well, a lot of the foster parents that I've talked to, it comes at quite a cost. And when probing and asking, why do you do it then? A lot of people are connected to the cause of Mm -hmm. this is the right thing to do, or they're connected, you know, this is my niece, of course I would do this for them. But um, it is financially a huge cost. Um, The other thing is that when we got a placement, normally you get about two hours to maybe four hours notice that you're getting a placement. Um, Mm. A lot of these kids come with appointments. You've got doctor's appointments, lawyer's appointments, caseworker appointments, bio visits, um, my one little guy that we got, he, within two weeks, we got him right before the holidays. So the holidays were busy. We had 15 appointments for him in two weeks, and he was four months old. So not only is it a time, like an investment in my finances, um, and I have two biological kids. So I, yeah. I already had stuff going on. My husband works, I work. So it's also a, a gift of time, you know, to take in these kids and yeah. to work your schedules to make them successful. So I would say some of the biggest myths are people go into fostering just to become parents. That's not true. You know, there's people like us that never plan to adopt and we're not making money out of this. It's definitely a a sacrifice of time um, for our family, but also our resources to do so. Yeah, man. Thank you for sharing that. And it's such an important thing. And I tell, you know, my friends who have really felt called to be foster parents. And I'm just like, you are, you're doing the Lord's work um, because it really does take so many people to love on and support these kids. Now, when it comes to, you know, kids who have been placed into the foster care system, there are a lot of myths kind of around those kids as well. And, and the kind of the outcomes for those kids. What are some of the things that you have seen that people kind of have like these misconceptions about uh, kids who have been placed in the foster care system? And what is sort of more reality? Yeah, well, first of all, let's start with no kid goes into foster care from a fault of their own. Right. Okay, that's the biggest thing. And so people talk to me all the time. It's like, well, I could never do this because I would get too attached. I could never do this because I could never say goodbye. I could never. And I'm like, wait, 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 can we pause on that for a second? Those are a lot of I statements and mm. I do get too attached and it is hard to let them go. But let's flip the conversation to these, this little baby who, if I get the call, that means there's no family available who is sitting in normally a hospital with no place to go. Mm. So I need to think about this little one came into care by no fault of their own and they need a loving place to land while parents are in rehab or, you know, they're figuring some personal stuff out. And so let's look at them first, because as an adult and my family, we have resources to cope and talk through this loss when they leave us. But what about this little one who needs a home? Like, let's just start there at the basics, right? So a lot of these kids also, um, at least in Oregon, 60% of them come from neglect. Hmm. Now, neglect is also typically coupled with other things, right? It could be abuse. It could be um, other things. But these kids, I feel like the world has told them who they are you know, like by the time they go into care. And so one of the big things that with love is we talk about dignity and dignity being cornerstone. So let's talk about if you give a gift to a child in foster care, which is what we do, we don't want this stuff to say, you know, I went to this camp when the kid never went to that camp. We don't want to have clothes that are so worn that they're sending the message that like, yeah, here are the leftovers. You know, we really want to send that message of hope and um, dignity with every delivery that we have, because again, these kids might not have had that experience in the past. Yeah. 
And then a thing that we really try to address, and we're, I think we're growing as a nonprofit. I don't think we're nailing it yet, but um, we're going in that right direction is we're really talking about, we have for about the last year and a half is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah. And a piece of this um, inclusion piece comes in and a lot of kids, um, not all, but some kids might be acting out due to trauma or um, sensory issues. And so if you're a parent that have, don't, doesn't have any training in trauma or with sensory issues, you can just see this child as an unruly child yeah. or a hard child. Right. When in reality, there are extra needs that if addressed can really help these children. So we do put on activities um, and education seminars for parents to help give them tools in their tool belt. Even a simple one is like we teach textured hair classes. Um, because if you have a child like I've had that is in my home that has textured hair, I don't know how to do that, yeah, you know? Yeah. So, um, and in that their culture and black culture, the hair is really, really important. Right. And so I want to be honoring of my child. And so when we talk about diversity and inclusion, yes, there's, we're looking at the whole culture. And one of those pieces, you know, is those kids that need those extra outlets for, um, some of their sensory issues yeah. that they've acquired over time. And we really want to keep those kids in a consistent home. Yeah, not having them bounce home to home to home. So how do we give those parents tools um, to help those kids because they are so worth it? We just need to make sure that um, we as parents can um, do best by them. Yeah, yeah. Now, I know that With Love really started out of this kind of this passion and then you kind of discovering this need of children and families being under-resourced. For people that might not have the experience or the kind of maybe a personal connection to children in foster care, what, when you say, like, I know you you mentioned that, like, there are times where you'll get a call and you're like, there's, you got to come get a baby in an hour or two hours. um, And you might not have all the things you need. But what are some of the examples of like somebody being under resourced? What are some of the needs that you realized like this is a very tangible need that we can fill in this time? Absolutely. Um, the first thing that's interesting is when you get a child in foster care, every child needs different things. So yeah. as an organization, we don't assume, oh, it's a two-year-old boy. We just pull out you know, the two-year-old boy stuff. We ask a lot of questions of our foster parents to tailor make and curate a delivery just for that child. So myself, I might have a car seat already. So giving me another car seat is just actually creating another hassle for me, right? right? Or um, giving me off-season clothes is not helpful for what I need right now. So what we try to do is we curate the delivery just based on that child, which by the way, requires a lot more work, especially from our um, volunteers who do all the little shopping things for our kids. But that ensures the kids are getting exactly what they need, including things that are their favorite color. Yeah. Um, things that are their favorite characters. So the kids feel seen and known through this process. Yeah. Um, so what we have found is that when children come into the home, especially infants, you just need so much stuff. Right. So what we do is our initial delivery is $1,500. So we gather, you know, again, based off of what they've requested, but it tends to be a lot of the car seats, the bottles, the shoes, some of the basics. So then after that initial request, every 90 days, foster parents are encouraged to reach back out to us so we can walk with them through their journey because we know seasons are changing, kids are growing, and those next deliveries don't tend to be as large. Um, But again, kids are, you know, going in and out of foster homes, right? And so um, we have kids that sometimes go back to bio parent and then boomerangs back into Mm, the foster parent world and they're like, 
but I just gave them the beds and everything. We're like, we got you. That's okay. That's, that's what happens. Yep. Um, and those tangible needs, I mean, I don't know if you personally, Molly, have had a moment in your life that it's just really hard and yeah. it can be, you know, whatever that journey is for people. But when you have that moment where your guard is down and you're overwhelmed and you're like, this is not what I expected it to be. And then someone shows up at your front doorstep with yeah. all the things you need free of charge. And a lot of these are new or like new items. Yeah. This is where that one way idea of like, we see you, we love you. Um, one of the goals that we didn't realize we had when we started was we're retaining quality foster parents. And so instead of saying, oh, I did it once. That was so hard. It cost me so much money. I just know for us, we're retaining foster parents because we're walking alongside them. Yeah, yeah. We also do community events and that's another time for them just to have fun as a family of six yeah. or a family of 12 or whatever that is. And so I think that also allows them to meet other foster parents, yeah. that, you know, hear their journey, you know, to make connections, but we didn't realize how important the tangible goods were for retaining quality foster parents. That's yeah. been a really um, big aha moment as we've grown. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. You know, this is just such a, um, I just, I really love the work that you're doing because it, it is, it's an area that I think more often than not can get, and I don't want to say that forgotten, but left behind. And it's such a vital, like I, like I was saying earlier, I, like to my friends who have kind of entered into this world of becoming foster parents, I just say like, y'all are, y'all are that real MVPs uh, because mm -hmm. it is there's a lot, it comes at a cost, emotional. Mm -hmm. um, but then at the same time, like also factoring in like what, you know, that it's worth it because these kids, you know, these kids in so many cases have been through a lot and to provide that safe place to land is, is so important. In the work that you guys have been doing, especially in the Portland area, you know, you started small and, and I guess actually I kind of want to go back before I answer or ask this next, next question. So when you started with love, I mean, where did you even <laughs> begin when you were like, okay, this is, this is what I feel like I'm being called to do. I'm seeing this need. How did you even <laughs> begin to know like where to gather stuff and connect to families? <laughs> I would have felt so lost. Oh, there was definitely a lot of those lost moments. So let's just put that out there. <laughs> you know, um, one of the misconceptions I feel like is when people hear that there's like, or they're passionate about something, they're like, I'm going to start a nonprofit. My answer is like, let's pause because there are so many other great organizations out there. Yeah. Right. So to be like, try to start something that is very hard to do, by the way. Yeah. Um, that's redundant in your community. Mm. That's not great, right? And so actually, that's where I started for about a year. I toured other nonprofits. I asked questions. Um, I went to ones that didn't actually relate exactly to what I was doing just to learn, like, why did you do this? How is it going? How do you pay your rent? How do you, you know, and ask those questions. Right. Because I knew the zero to six was so critical. And there was some resources um, that were for people in need. There were some that were ages um, zero to 18. But that specific zero to six, and then also really focusing on making volunteering a cornerstone to make it accessible because I felt like I was a mom with how many degrees? I don't even know how many degrees I had. And my kid would look at me and not eat avocado. And like my day was mm. pivoting on if my kid ate the avocado or not. I'm like, I'm so smart. And yet this kid is like owning all my brain space. And so <laughs> to offer these places, right? Like yeah. those battles that you have as a mom. 
So to create a place, and what's been interesting, I, what I didn't see at the beginning is there's a lot of retired people that work with us also. Oh, I love that. They're so smart. They've got the time. And so when starting a nonprofit, I really thought, you know, what are our cornerstones? And that was dignity. This was not going to be a cast off place. Dignity was critical. Second of all, it was going to be volunteering. We really wanted to make sure that volunteers were the heartbeat of what we do. And being a school teacher, I worked with volunteers a lot. And so I knew I was good at that part of it yeah. in empowering them. So we really wanted to say, we know our ages zero to six. We know that dignity is going to be a cornerstone and we know volunteering. And we haven't drifted from those missions statements, you know, and really um, encompass what we do. Right. So I, the biggest thing I would say is starting a nonprofit is very hard. I did it because I have really great people around me. I think if I would have tried this in a different community, it would not have worked. Yeah. Um, in the greater, I mean, we serve all of Oregon now, but in Portland, if you get a kid zero to six, the first thing people tell you is go to with love. I mean, we are really well known amongst our community and we have yeah. a really good reputation, but that reputation and why we can do as well as we do is because of volunteers. Like yeah. our staff is very, very small and the volunteers, which has been actually really hard in COVID. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. So much. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really hard for us, but we almost have like a second family. We actually have a kid playroom. So a lot of moms comes with their toddlers and the kids have their play dates. And what's so sweet too, is we have these retired communities of these people that come and it's almost like they don't work anymore, but this is what they do. And so yeah. they have their little banter and friendships. And so it's been a nice little family. I feel like we've created, um, amongst our volunteers. And yeah. so you can come volunteer once and have an experience and dip your toes in in foster care, or you can get a lot more involved. And I, I think the tricky part, when I started eight years ago, at least in the media, foster care wasn't really talked about a ton. Yeah, um, It wasn't in movies. And so you were either a foster parent or you weren't. Like there was no in between. And so what, what love is, is we're an on-ramp to say, hey, you might not be a foster parent because a lot of people say, I could never do that. Well, not everybody's supposed to. Yeah. But could you donate your kids new and like new items? Could you volunteer your time? Um, we work a lot with high schoolers and it's awesome because they're just planting those seeds early about what I is foster that. care and dignity and love. And then um, if you're in a place financially that you can give, I mean, we can turn every $1 to $2 and 16 cents with a donation. And so there are a lot of working people that don't have the time to be volunteering, but financially um, we're really open with our um, reporting and how we use money and funds. And so it feels pretty good to be like, yeah, I gave $100, but it turned into 200 plus, yeah. you know, which is pretty great. Yeah. Now is, did I'm assuming you left kind of the teaching world. Mm -hmm. And so this has really been your main focus for seven, goodness, seven, eight years now. Well, one would think I was smart enough to do that. Yeah, I, I left the teaching world, but I actually worked at a university. And so I did the university job and with love for five years together. Wow. Yeah, I loved it. It was so, it was so good for that season. But with love has grown so big yeah. that um, it just wasn't fair to myself or my family to try to yeah. keep uh, my feet in both worlds. And so after 15 years of education, I switched and, you know, it's a really humbling process. You know, yeah. some people go to school to do this, you know, there's nonprofit management. And so I've um, learned a lot. I partner with a lot of other organizations and I listen a lot yeah. to what they're doing. But yeah, no, I've been doing this now for seven and a half years. However, as my, my job, it's been about two and a half years and I'm actually salaried doing this because for the first five years, I didn't take a paycheck. Wow. Wow. 
Now, have you been able to, because you've obviously, you, you said how you started just kind of very centrally focused in the Portland area. You're now serving all of Oregon. Have you been able to connect with other states or organizations in other states doing similar work? And do you have a vision of taking it outside of Oregon? Or are you like, nope, that's my calling is to my state? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I get calls all the time, emails all the time about this question. Um, one thing that's been really neat is we follow, um, we're really, really active on social media. So if you don't follow us with Love Oregon on Instagram and Facebook, we're very active. And so what's been really neat is to create authentic relationships with other nonprofits that are in California, one's in Austin, um, one's in Seattle, that again, it's not like we're besties, but if you need to, they'll pick up the phone if you have a question. Um, but also you get ideas off of each other, you cheer each other on, yeah. you know, so that's been great. But as far as where we're going, um, running a nonprofit is a lot of work and takes a lot of funds. And so what we feel like is our next step over time, again, this isn't right away, is we see ourselves doing replication seminars. And so what, what that looks like is people in different counties um, who have a passion or are interested in getting more involved, they can come to one of our seminars and sort of learn the 101s of creating a foster support yeah. organization. We'll teach them best practices, and then they can go back to their county and open what they feel like is the resource that they need. I, our board has talked about this, and there's a little bit of an ego because it's like, oh, I would love to have my name on everything, but then it's also a liability. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the intent from day one was always to impact the most amount of kids um, with dignity. It wasn't to have our name on everything. Yeah. And so it's a way to give tools. Um, that people can also lean into their passion because maybe their passion is to do kids that are aging out of foster care. Mm. Maybe their passion is to do something around sibling sets, you know, but at least they can learn, you know, some of the um, yeah. steps that we go through. And trust me, we've learned some trials and errors, <laughs> you know, and it, how to, again, get started because I know the need is out there. Yeah. And the 501c3 paperwork is a beast. And so everyone wants support there. But it is interesting. I mean, there are different variations of with love. I mean, it's not with love, but in other counties that we're just, or sorry, other states that are just incredible and doing stuff that inspire us all the time. Yeah. And so I think there's a part of having enough humility to say, we're just a little piece of this puzzle. Yeah. Um, and there's other groups that maybe started the size we are and have blossomed into what we follow today. And so I think there's a little misconception too, sometimes it's like, when you follow them when they're a 12-year-old company, you don't think about what they were like when they were a one-year-old yes, company. Yes, yes. And comparing those apples to apples, because it's like apples and squash, you yeah. know? Like they're not even the same, you yeah. know? But people always think it's an overnight that. success, but they're like, no, it's more like a uh, like a 14-year overnight success. Oh, totally. Yeah, it's... Um, it's really knowing, I think, like when I talk to other groups, um, we do partner with a lot of local organizations. So we do, um, it's called the Share the Love event twice a year. We get together, do some best practices and learn from each other within the Portland area. Yeah. But one of the things that his, um, so we basically are cheering each other on, learning from each other, sharing resources, learning that, you know, they're all our kids. Right. And so if they get more money than we do for a benefit dinner or get a grant that we don't, like it's still our kids, it's a win. Right. You know, and sort of linking arms versus seeing them them versus us. I, I love that perspective. Change. Yeah. And I think in the nonprofit world, there can be sometimes it's like that hoarding of like, if I don't get the cookie, someone else gets the cookie versus saying like, that's not the best mentality. Right. And so um, that networking has been really, really critical for us. Mm. And I think that's also why we've all grown so 
um, authentically over time is because we're all sharing the resources versus hoarding them. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, it's such a a countercultural mentality that so many businesses and organizations don't have. And so when we shift our our perspective from that us versus them mentality and really think of it more in that community sense where we are all coming together, we are better together, we're better in community, and that we are better in community than we are alone, that is where you really start to see these massive changes because we are just a drop in the ocean, you know what I mean? But if we have like this downpour, the ripple effect of that, a lot of water uh, analogies right now, um, but the ripple effect of that is just, hey, we're going to wrap it up with a, a tidal wave, a tidal wave of change. You know, So we got, instead of a drop, we got a downpour in the ocean that creates a tidal wave. Yeah. But it, I mean, really, in all seriousness, it's just that you really begin to see the effects of that long term. And I think the beautiful thing about it is... Um, we're all around the same age. And so we've been each other's, you know, champions. And so we do get asked a lot for other groups to join us. And we encourage them to like, when you're a year old, you're asking different questions than you are when you're eight years old. Yeah. And we would be, um, instead of growing together, we would be trying to bring up these other groups. And so the encouragement is always look around, learn what are other groups that are at your same stage um, that then you can grow together as well. Because there's so many other groups that are bigger than us that if I wanted to go learn from them, it'd be really overwhelming, yeah. right? And I'd feel like a failure versus when you're growing with people that are at your stage, they also understand the struggles mm-hmm. and they also can really celebrate the successes with that. Yeah. I've served on the board for quite a few uh, anti-human trafficking nonprofits mm-hmm. here in the area. And we've done, I mean, as I'm sure you know this in the line of work that you do is, you know, teens and children who are in the foster system are at a great, great risk of being trafficked. And um, it's a much higher percentage chance when you have children who are in the foster care system. And so we've worked a a lot in conjunction with organizations that work with children in foster care or, um, you know, domestic violence organizations, things like that. And so when you're coming together and everybody kind of has their different specialty, but they're all working with similar populations of people. It really is powerful. And yeah, you get to cheer each other on when when you see that an organization has a big success or they get a big donor um, or a big grant uh, for a particular project. It's just it's really powerful to kind of see that that change happen and that and and see each other succeed and grow. And you're like, yes, I I can say I knew you win. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, you know, it's so it's sort of fun, too, because at this point, some people have um, within the organization changed roles and stuff yeah. like that. So it's a little bit of like um, then you're meeting their new people and you get it again. It's that whole growth. Right? right. And then when I get to introduce my new staff and, you know, it's like, remember when it was just us? in my garage, <laughs> you know, and now we're like, we made it out of the garage. Yeah. Even though a lot of other good businesses, it started in the garage. I just need to put that out there. Hey, I mean, it's Apple, Facebook, or Facebook, I guess. Facebook was, I guess, a dorm room. But still, it's, it's you know, it's all the same. Not glamorous. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, I'm going to take a quick break from my conversation with Allie to thank our partner of the show, and that is Mama Suds. So how much time do you spend reading labels? A lot, right? 
Mama Suds would like to help you take the stress of research out of your life with their truly safe, non-toxic household cleaning collection. They have everything you need to keep your family and your home clean and safe. I have loved Mama Suds products for a long time. I use their laundry soap and their cleaning solution and it smells good. And the best part is that they use plants and minerals to make their products absolutely nothing synthetic. The head mama at Mama Suds is Michelle Smith, and she has spent a crazy amount of time tracking down exceptional ingredients so they are not only safe for you and your family, but sustainable for the planet. Mama Suds wants to inspire you to live a smart, healthy, and sustainable life that brings you joy and peace of mind. You can try them out at mamasuds.com and use the code MOLLY for 15% off your order. Now back to my conversation with Allie. You know, for for people that are listening who maybe kind of fall into that category of I'm not called to be a foster a parent and you mm-hmm. kind of mentioned, you know, they maybe they have new or used items from their own kids, um, but maybe they don't have their own kids. What are some of the ways those kinds of people can support the work you're doing or getting involved in their own communities? Yeah. What I love is like people being intentional. Yeah. So we talk about three different cornerstones when it comes to like our intention at With Love. We talk about empowerment, intentionality, and dignity. And part of it is instead of just going, oh, I'm going to go to this um, place to get rid of my stuff. I just want to get rid of it. That's a different mentality than saying, you know, who can I really bless with what I have? That's being intentional, right? And so I'm not saying, you know, if you're out of the out of Oregon, you're not going to necessarily run your stuff over to us. But it's being intentional about saying, gosh, who could use this? And being also thoughtful about donating. We have a lot of people that just like dump stuff on us. And we're like, this isn't dignity. You're just getting rid of your stuff from the 80s yeah. that were in the attic. You know, yeah. that's not helpful to us at all. So being yeah. mindful about that is a, a first step. Second of all, you know, we really believe in transparency yeah. and we want people to know, you know, where their funds are going, but also the different activities that we're doing and how we're operating. And so we do this through newsletters, but we also do this through an annual report. And again, we're really active on social media. And so we're out there saying, Hey, we need socks right now. Hey, this is our item of the month. And the great thing is, let's just say you live in this amazing state called North Carolina and you're like, Hey, I follow you on Instagram yeah. and I see you need hats or I see you need this. I mean, you can, we have an Amazon wish list yeah. that you can easily ship them on over. But I think that knowing being good about where you're being called in terms of like not having that shame of like, Oh, I could never do this. I just, I don't have the time. I don't have this, but then what can you do? Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's ask that question. And I always think about like knowing what you're passionate about is so important because if you just don't know where that focus is, you're not going to go deep anywhere, right? you know? And so um, it's great to experience like a lot of different nonprofits and to try to see where you fit best. Yeah. Um, But for us, you know, we really encourage people to like, not just donate. We want you to volunteer. We want you following us on social media. So, you know, like, okay, gave toys for the holidays. What happened next? You know, well, we want to show that story and share it with you. Partially, so you can feel good about yourself um, in terms of like, hey, look, I made a difference. But then also, we want you to continue that journey with us. We don't want it to be a one-time thing. And so we want people to continue to either volunteer their hours financially to keep giving. And to do that, we want you to be a part of our journey. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Allie, um, before we transition to the get to know you round, um, mm-hmm. you know, we you talked a little bit about some of this kind of this vision 
of uh, what was the word you used of the rep replication? Was that it? Yeah. Replication seminars. Replication yeah. seminars. What is sort of your outside of that? What is sort of your long-term vision and goal for with love? Hmm. Well, this isn't so long-term. It can be like sort of short-term. One of the things that happens when you're a small nonprofit running really, really, really hard, like we are, yeah. um, I think we need to settle a little bit. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds weird, like not like settle our standards, but I feel like it's so easy to run so hard and not actually sit back and enjoy mm. what we've created. Or it's easy to just do things how we've always done it and realize uh, we're serving double the amount of kids that we did last year on the same amount of staff. It doesn't seem like a good a math yeah. equation to me. Yeah. So again, I, I want to create um, a little bit of a firmer base that we can thrive yeah. in a little bit because yeah. we've been growing so fast over the past seven years. Yeah. Um, so that's something that's a little short term of like how to how to get that way. I think it's easy to again stay in a rut of like how we've always done it. Yeah. But the coronavirus has really taught us yeah. that um when you rely only on volunteers and you're serving more than the normal average number of kids per month, it's not gonna end well. Right. So yeah. um working on that, I would say that'd be short term. Yeah. For long term, um, I really want to be that voice because for these kids that are voiceless. And it's great that a lot of TV shows now and some movies have kids in foster care in them. I feel like that wasn't the voice that was being shared for a long time. Yeah. But I want to be that advocate of looking into, you know, if you're interested in foster care, what, what if you looked into respite care, which is like essentially babysitting and supporting kids in foster care through that. So it could be a shorter term commitment really sort of like you went back to the myth busting, right? Like when I show up at church or I show up wherever and I've got a little one with me, you know, the first, because we do drug affected infants, like that's sort of our little niche. So we normally have a newborn. So there's one day I show up and my kids swim lessons. I look like me. The next time I have a baby with me and they're like, what happened? You know, just again, it's normalizing and saying, you know, this is um, our sweet little one. They're wonderful. People fall in love with them. And it's actually been through that, that quite a few of our friends and our church members have become foster parents. Wow. And it's because it's all of a sudden in their arena, their sphere, our kids, when they have, when they actually went to school, yeah. you know, they would always want to bring the kids in foster care in for show and tell, cause they were so proud mm. of, you know, having, this is my new brother. I want to share him with you. Um, if I was volunteering, you know, saying, you know, mom, can you bring the baby? You know, so it's, again, it's that normalizing. Yeah. Um, and I think my husband and I have a really big heart for not only offering that soft landing spot for when that child is needed, but also sharing in the community, like this is going on all around us. And that might not be in your world, but it's going on all around us. And it takes people that are going to be a little risky, you know, to open up your heart and open up your finances and open up your home. But um, these sweet children, like that's what they need. And they need people that are going to be invested in them. And they need people that are going to be sad when they leave. Um, And to your friends, I don't know their stories, but there are some cases that do end up in adoption. And I talked to quite a few families that this is happening for, and they're so excited. Yeah, Like this is our next chapter. And we want to cheer those people on as well. You know, we don't think that everybody should adopt their foster care because there's reunification. But if that is the journey that they're on, Um, How do you support that and encourage that? And um, for us at With Love, we support kids that are in foster care. And if someone gets adopted through that process, we still walk with them through the age of six because we want to be that um, supportive person. We don't want to say, oh, you, you, he adopted your child. Sorry, go somewhere else. It's like, okay, well, let's keep this journey going, you know, and celebrating. And 
That's really powerful. Again, being that voice. Yeah. You said something that just kind of spurred a question for me um, because you do have uh, biological children. I'm Mm -hmm. curious, how have your kids, just you personally as a foster parent, how have your kids kind of adapted through the years of being a foster family? And, you know, how do they handle a, a new kid in the house? How do they handle it when it's time for that kid to be reunified with their fam- with their biological family? I think actually having kids is a huge asset in our yeah. situation. Um, but I know when we became foster parents, there was a lot of people in our community, like in our social circle that were a little concerned, like, how is this going to impact your kids? How is this going to go? How is it going to go with your time? Um, first thing for our family, we've always done this, is we bring in kids that are younger than our biological kids. That's just a personal situation. That's not the best always for everybody. That's how we've done it. Second of all, we've done it since my youngest was two and a half. And I think my son was six and a half. So they sort of don't remember their life without it. Mm. So that's an interesting point of view. Since we don't have a placement all the time, my kids ask us all the time, like all the time. You know, when did we get that call? Or if I'm like, oh, something good happened. My daughter will chime in. We're getting a baby. (laughs) And it's like, no, no, that's not what happened. As a Comcast person is coming tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, (laughs) um, that's where she always goes. Um, There are things. My kids are pretty raised in a pretty privileged area. We have cars that run. We have an extra bedroom. And my kids get stuff sent to us all the time for it's for with love and they get packages and it's not normal for a a six-year-old and an 11 year old to be like so excited that the most amazing toys just showed up that aren't for them Mm. you know and they um as soon as my kids grow out of something the first thing they say is oh can I give it to blah 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 yeah you know so it's this mentality um that's beyond them and I think as a parent a lot of our goals are to create an environment and loving our kids that's beyond them. But to be honest with you, a lot of their world is about them and their swim lessons and their school and their video games and their things. And so there's a big heart piece to it. That's hard. I mean, we cry over the babies that leave. We've got pictures of them all throughout the house. Mm. Um, they're definitely part of our story, but it's very cute when you ask my kids, you know, so how many brothers and sisters do you have? Like the cashier, the kids that will look at them like, well, right now or in our family, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, we've had nine babies in three years, but uh, Gabriel's not with us anymore, you know, oh, and it's like this, yeah. this story, you know, for them, but it's definitely hard and it's come at a cost for them, no doubt. However, I have to tell you, like the ability for my kids to have as much empathy and awareness of others is so worth it. And mm-hmm. the concerns that I know my family might've had for us, um, opening up these doors because we have such a full life to see how they just get so excited about their new sibling yeah. is like, absolutely worth it. Mm, That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. All right, Allie, this is the part of the show where we just transition just a little bit to just ask some fun, lighthearted, get to know you questions. So I love it, Molly. Allie, are you ready for the get to know you round? Hmm. I think we're there in our relationship now. (laughs) Okay. Question number one, what is your guilty pleasure? People magazine. (laughs) I love it. My mom had had a subscription to people for like 10 years, something like that. Okay. So let's make sure that there's two things, you know, I'm a very frugal person. And so I won't buy it. Um, normal price. You have to go through all the the, the shady discount magazine things to get it for like a dollar a magazine. Yeah. Um, but that is one of those things. I don't watch a lot of television. I read a lot of books, but that is the thing when it comes to the mail, I'm like, kids, mom is busy. 
I got to figure out this. And then, by the way, it's not just any gossip bags. I, I want people. People. Yeah. It's the, yeah. it's the more legit one. <laughs> yeah, well, it has, it's like, you know, you have to actually read it. Yeah. You know, it's not just pictures. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, you just said that you are a big reader. I am also a big reader. What book are you reading right now? And what was the best book you read in 2020? I read about a book every other week. So yeah, um, me too. Avid reader. Okay. So I just finished this week one that was just very out of my genre. So I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah. Um, it was about India. So let me think of the name of it really quickly. And what I love about it is it's the henna artist. And so just learning about a different culture and the yeah. systems. I'm just really interested in that type of stuff. I read a ton about World War II. Also, I was on a war. It was it's very interesting because I was not really a big World War Two. That's why is that hard to say? War World War Two. It's a lot, right? World World War Two. W W Two. W W Two. But I was on a streak there for a little bit, like end of 2019 into 2020, where I read like all in a row. I read Unbroken, All the Light We Cannot See, um, Uh The Nightingale. Uh-huh. Um, oh, what was the other one? Oh, oh, gosh. Uh, the Tattooist of Auschwitz. Yeah. And then the sequel to that, Silka's Journey. Yeah. I read all of those in like a month and a half span. And I, I remember after I was, I was like, I need a palate cleanser. I'm real. Right. I need a palate cleanser right now. <laughs> Going in deep. Yeah, you're, the only book you didn't say is the Lilac Girls and that because the Lilac Girls. Lilac Girls. Okay, yeah. I'm adding that to my um, list. It does also, in a very creepy way right now, put in light of a pandemic when like World War II was yeah. a lot. And it does like, there's parts of me that's like, this is the worst. But I'm like, but at least we don't have ration cards, right. you know, yes. like, just, like little things, you know, yes. so like perspective. I, you um, know, it's funny because I think about, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but there was you saying that reminds because my husband and I were having a conversation about like our, I mean, not, neither my husband and our, nor I have any living grandparents. But they are all of that generation. My dad was actually born the day before D-Day. Like he was born June 5th, 1944. And D-Day was June 6th, 1944. And his father was deployed serving in World War II at the time. And I like think about, you know, how a lot of times just perspective wise, some of us, we will sit and we'll be like, gosh, we are living in like the worst time ever. And I'm like, there is a generation of people that are still oh, alive yeah. that lived through World War II, like the Depression, uh, oh, the yeah. Korean War, the Cold War, the Vietnam War, like the assassination of JFK and MLK. I'm like, that, they lived through some stuff. <laughs> right. And ours is like, to stay home. Like, like, no, no. Like, I think we're fine. I think we're going to be all right, guys. Like, Let's really put this in perspective for a little bit. Yeah, you can have your day and then you need to read your book, you know, like have your bad mood. Um, Anyway, sorry, total tangent. Well, this actually goes along with my favorite book of the year. Um, So Ken Follett, I really like. So he wrote actually a trilogy. Oh, Pillars of the Earth, right? Yeah. So they did the whole series on that. And then there's this one that's called The Evening and the Morning that he Ooh. just came out with. And it's like a prequel to Pillars of the Earth. <gasps> I'm going to need I know. That. And it's a thick one, right? Because Pillars of the Earth is a big one. And so I love the series. So he just came out with that. But here's the other thing you need to know. 
um, talking about the spanning of centuries, he wrote um, Fall of Giants, and that's the first of a trilogy. And that Ooh. basically starts like with the characters, and the next book is like the next generation of them, and they go through everything: the, the Great War, World War II. Um, it goes through like JFK getting shot. I mean, I read these this trilogy; it's fantastic. You will not come out of your room for a week because you're going to be reading it the whole time. And um, realizing, like, I didn't realize X, Y, and Z happened so close in time to each other, you yeah. know? And so yeah. I really like him as an author in one of my favorite books this year. But The Fall of the Giants is hands down my favorite trilogy. I could talk about books all day. Um, <laughs> all right. Switching over to music. Um, what song do you have to sing along with when you hear it? Well, let's just hope no one is in the car with me when they come on. Cause it's like, <laughs> Ooh, you can't carry it in a bucket. So let's just start there. Like I'd probably make up half the words. Um, Panic at the Disco had one that came out called, um, Hey Ma, I made it. And I don't know what about it was like, so like in my soul. Um, but I, and in my head, I sound like them. So let's just, that was one. And then the other one, which is not what you asked is the Hamilton soundtrack. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And so there's a lot of things that I listen to the Hamilton soundtrack a ton. And in my head, I sound like Eliza, in case you're wondering. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We all do. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I don't sound a thing like her, but in my head, I totally am nailing it. Yeah, totally. Nailing it. 100%. Hundo P, as they say. I love it. <laughs> okay, Ali, this is my last question. This is the question I ask all my guests. And that is, what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? Mm-hmm. I think it is creating something bigger than myself. And I think at the end of the day, there are you have your good days and your bad days. Yeah. But I truly believe that starting a nonprofit was obeying a higher calling that I very much felt like needed to happen. And I think that at the end of the day, regardless of what my story is, with love will continue. Yeah. And that is a privilege to be able to be on that journey of something bigger than me. Mm. Allie, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. And again, thank you so much for the work that you're doing uh, with love and uh, with love, with love. And <laughs> and uh, just truly thank you for the time. And thanks for being a guest. My pleasure, Molly. I would love to know what you loved about this episode or if there was something that you learned. If you do, let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And don't forget to use the hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast. Another thank you to our partner of the show, Mama Suds. Don't forget to use that code Molly for 15% off and shop at mamasuds.com. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring incredible entrepreneurs and business owners who are quite literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you're a regular listener, thank you for tuning in week in and week out. And thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, or basically wherever you listen to podcasts and click that subscribe or follow button to make sure you never miss a new episode of the show. And while you're there, would you take a moment to leave a review? Leaving a review of the show helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. This show is produced by the incredible team at Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose.